everybody, and welcome to Enjoy the View. I'm Ari, and today on our panel, we have Tessa. Hello. Alex. Hello. And special guest panelist, Oscar. Hello, hello. No, you had to have the and longest today, hello, because oh, we were getting the, longer and longer. There. <laughs> <laughs> today we're going to talk about the broader concept of community, specifically what makes a good one, what makes a bad one, and how do you successfully build one. So let's start with a roundtable question of what is one thing that you think makes a good community? Let's start with Alex. Yes. Generally speaking, I would say one thing that makes a really good community is being welcoming. Like any community where I walk in, people go like, hi, welcome. Like this podcast? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to be there, right? Like I I want a community where people go and they go, oh my gosh, you're here. Hi. Welcome. Come do the things. Maybe not that like excited. It was really not nice having you on the show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, I feel like being welcoming and like, you know, not excluding people or just being rude to people like up front is probably a pretty good thing. I, I really like that in the community. All right. Oscar. Yeah, I definitely second that. I think mine is sort of, you know, related. And I I think it's the, you know, feeling inclusive and feeling like everyone is really together. Like we're all in this together in this community. And so like really when I want to feel out of a community is that everyone here belongs. You know, we're all in this together. We really want to be working together to build that bigger, better, stronger community. We haven't achieved everything we've achieved so far by just, you know, pushing folks away. Right. Yeah. I think that's where it is for me. And by default, up next is Tessa. So for me, I think what's really important in a community is structure. And this can mean like structure in terms of activities, structure in terms of your communities, like social hierarchy, structure in terms of who you want to welcome and include in your community versus who you want to exclude for the sake of protecting the community. I've seen a lot of communities and community organizers that really like the idea of having like a spontaneous and improvised community, you know, and I think there are like perfect storm type situations where that happens to work out with no additional planning or structure. But in general, in my experience, in order to really have that kind of fun and safe and welcoming feeling of impromptuness or like anything can happen this you do need underlying structure that maybe is invisible to community members but that community organizers often put a lot of work into and like the an example maybe of the type of feeling i'm talking about trying to avoid is like you're in a group of five friends everybody's been hungry for 30 minutes and you still can't decide what restaurant to eat at that kind of feeling okay Uh, I guess that means it's my turn. For me, one of the hallmarks of a good community is a helpful community. And part of what makes a helpful community is creating a safe space to ask questions, no matter how quote unquote dumb that question might be. I don't ever want to feel afraid that if I say or ask something that is contrary to someone else's opinion, that they're going to make me feel like I'm stupid for it. 
So that's a big thing for me. But also, I guess I'm I'm sort of curious uh, what everyone else is, you know, how other people here have helped build communities and, and what that looked like. Anyone feel free to jump in on that one. Yeah, I feel like I, I end up talking about it a lot, of course, but one of the projects I, I work on, you know, outside of, you know, Vue and other things like that is a programming language. In terms of building a community, it's probably going to be one of those things that you're going to end up having a community around. And I really do think that how you build that community, how you set that example is going to show, you know, what kinds of people are going to participate in your community. So you can't really have a lax approach to it. You can't really have that sort of spontaneous sort of feeling. You have to be pretty active with the kinds of people that you're seeking out to join your community. You know, you have to regulate, hey, are we making sure that we're, you know, our public presence, uh, so for newcomers, like, are we being welcoming to everyone that comes in? Do people feel like they can come in and ask a dumb question and, and not, you know, get ridiculed for it? You know, it's like, that's how you end up building one of those communities. Like, you know, when you look at like, you know, the view community, of course, it's super duper welcoming. There's not really any such thing as a dumb question. Like someone's there to help you. Everyone's in it together. Everyone's learning together. And like, that's amazing. Right. And so when I look at communities like that, and I look at communities, even like the Python community, like Python really could have been a really terrible community. <laughs> like, let's be honest, right? Uh, everyone trying to be super clever about how they're dealing with all of their data, right? But instead, it's like, yeah, Python really has this, you know, uh, sense of, hey, yeah, this is really friendly for beginners. So let's try and make Python super duper welcoming to anyone who wants to come to the community, right? And like, that's awesome. And, you know, I really wish that we had that out of every single community, <laughs> but it's not, you know, quite like that, unfortunately. But yeah, definitely the experience of trying to build a community. It's it's a lot of work. That's the the main thing I'd say. It's a lot of work. It's your baby uh, and you, you got to take care of it. You don't want things to go south. You know, when I entered the tech world, I started attending and running meetups. And so I guess that was one of my big forays into the community. I don't remember if there was a, another part to this question that I'm missing, but yeah. I've never really built a community. I've I've been like I've had communities foisted upon me sometimes and trying to like go, okay, well, let's get some infrastructure, you know, put in place here. Like we haven't had uh we don't have a code of conduct. We should probably have one of those, right? Like it's been you know, a lot of them were very small communities that were trying to get bigger and not really having any sort of thing. I was like, we need these and hope that we never have to use them, right? Like that's the goal of you have a code of conduct and then hope that it never needs to be used. Okay, but why? I know everybody hates the devil's advocate, but I think it's an important question to ask. Why can't we just trust everybody to be adults and be nice and be awesome or whatever the Bill and Ted quote is? Have you met people? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've, I've met the people that have asked this question. Because <laughs> people suck. I mean, that's the, the sad, short answer. Despite best of intentions, people will also sometimes unwittingly do things that are really messed up and, and hurt other people. And then that's not even to speak to the people who will intentionally do things to hurt other people. But yeah, not everyone has the same values and not everyone has the same experiences to understand how their actions will impact someone else. Yeah, and it can be really difficult too, because like a lot of the time you might think, well, oh, it's just an education problem. 
<laughs> you know, if someone does something wrong, we can, you know, try and educate them and say, hey, you know, this is, you know, what was wrong with, you know, what you did. And, you know, we hope that you don't do it again. And some people are open to that. You know, I've seen situations where, you know, you actually sit down with someone and talk to them and explain, you know, you know, what happened and they change and they get better. But then there's also, <laughs> you know, those cohort of folks who sometimes maybe they do hear what you're saying, but it's not something they process. Or some people take great offense to it. If you're telling them, hey, you did something wrong. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> it's like, you know, the... How dare you tell a white man he did something wrong? <laughs> <sighs> the nerve. Exactly. And, you know, that's what a lot of it boils down to is unfortunately... <laughs> I know for me, like the thing that I love about a code of conduct is I can very easily point to this document and say, these rules were explicitly outlined. <laughs> you agreed to them and you did not follow them. There's not much conversation to be had there. You know, it's explained up front. You know, I believe in second chances for people, but people have to want to try. And it's like the same thing with like participating in a community and learning. You have to want to learn. You, you're not just going to come in and just participate and just magically absorb knowledge. It's you have to really, you know, get in there and say, I want to learn. I want to be better at whatever it is I'm doing. Maybe it's not just some technical thing, but maybe I want to get better as a person. I want to get better at communicating as part of this community, right? And as long as you have that attitude, you're probably going to be all right. Like you're going to learn about these things. You're going to see other situations that happen that you're not a part of. And you'll learn from those situations and say, wow, I'm never going to do that because that's terrible, right? And that's the mentality that you have to have. And not everyone has that mentality. I think it's also okay to say that you don't always have to be learning. Just if you're not learning, don't violate the code of conduct. And like for me personally, I often find it comforting to know what the rules or expectations are in advance. And I'm sure there are a lot of people that maybe are not going to be able to pick up on social cues if they do exist. And so a code of conduct or something like that can also be really helpful for those types of situations. I had another thought there, but now it's now it's completely gone. But yeah. Well, and then also like to go along with the code of conduct or as, as part of the code of conduct, you also have to specify like what action, if there is a violation, what are the actions that are taken, right? Like, like it's nice to have a list of rules, but if there's also not a list of like, hey, if you violate one of these, mm. here's how we're going to handle that, right? Like first we'll talk to you and then we'll do this, right? Like you need to also have that in place because if you don't, then like it's nice that you have this list of rules, but it can be wielded in weird and terrible ways if somebody wants to use them that way. So making it clear that like, here are the people who are handling this and here's how it will be handled and is also really important to go along with that. Yeah. And it's also okay to include a clause like we, we can also remove you for reasons that are not listed in the code of conduct. The thing I was going to say earlier, which ties into what you were saying, is it's also really important that the rules are very clear and specific because otherwise you know, that can lead to really uneven, well, more instances of uneven application of the code of conduct, like a popular one on in many art communities is no politics. And if you talk about politics, you might get banned. But it's like art is political. So what does that mean? Like if I'm talking about trying to grapple with some recent like racist debacle in a piece of art, is that talking about politics? Or are we using some definition where it's like if it involves politicians? You know, so everyone comes with a different background. So it's important to try to be explicit about what you mean and maybe give examples. I know I personally was involved in writing the code of conduct for a community. 
And we did struggle a bit with clearly defining the the steps that would be taken in the event of a violation of the code of conduct, partly because behavior is a spectrum, especially bad behavior, you know, and trying to to explicitly address the, that spectrum in making rules about, you know, what will happen is difficult because, you know, if we say, okay, your first offense, blah, blah, blah. If your first offense is really egregious, like I want you gone immediately. <laughs> like if your first offense is, you know, like let's just use the example of sexual harassment. If it's a situation where someone is hitting on you and you are not into that at all, right? that sucks. But that is very different than sending someone, say, a dick pic off the bat. Like if you're sending a dick pic to someone in a, a predominantly female community, you are not welcome there, period. I'm sorry. I mean, if you're sending an unsolicited dick pic anywhere, let's say that you're probably not welcome there. I mean, like yes. 99.9999% of the time. <laughs> and since I would imagine that our listenership is majority male, if any of you have done that, stop. Just don't do it. I'm going to throw that right out there. And stop listening. If you continue to do that, you're not welcome here. I guess this would be a really bad time to make an at gloomy loomy joke. Oh my God, please, Tessa. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, rules like that are a bit like the good example of like communities doing this. It's a good, bad example is, well, no, it's a good, good example is in like the 80s with the punk rock scene. If a neo-nazi or skinhead tried to show up to the show they would beat them and kick them out of the club right like they would literally go you are not welcome here get out and like just you know be absolutely horrible to them to get them to leave because they were like you are not welcome in this community and we don't want you around and you know that was very much like part of the punk scene back in the day is my understanding yeah i know back in my day right we are not that old, okay? No, we're not. We're really not. <laughs> but like, I mean, real clear. You, you missed last episode when Ben was calling us a bunch of youngsters. Right. I mean, that's that's one of those things where like, like the punk community at the time had very strong opinions about that, and it was it was a problem that they were dealing with by you know being very adamant about it. You know, that's a that's an example of like very clear lines of like. You are not welcome if you are spouting this type of thing. Right. So it sounds like what you're saying is not beat your fellow community members and be really mean to them, but draw really clear boundaries about what kind of behavior is not welcome because in the effort to be inclusive to everyone, you will end up with an uninclusive and discriminatory mm -hmm. community. Correct. Yeah. I mean, only beat up your fellow view community members if you're also forming a fight <laughs> club at the same time, which we don't talk about. So um, I think another really good example is when I had um, a Twitch channel that was active in, you know, whatever, like the profile area, I very clearly stated that... Oh, were you like a pro gamer or something? Something like that. It was very clearly stated that if you mentioned the band Nickelback, mm. you would get a soft ban. And if you mentioned them again, hard mm. ban. This is a great example. You know, like I set, I set really clear boundaries and people loved to just disrespect them. But no, that is a partly true story. The one that really, if you said MILF, if you called me a MILF, especially since I have no children, that was a hard ban off the bat. <laughs> I like how the Nickelback one was partially true. Like it actually wasn't Nickelback, it was Coldplay or something. You actually like Nickelback. <laughs> 
I'm not sure that the Nickelback one was explicitly in the rules. I can't remember at this point, but yes, it, you you were put on timeout if you said Nickelback. But of course, it was one of those that was like mostly a joke. So even my own moderators would do it from time to time. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's one of the hard things about tech communities is that they're inherently like at least semi-professional, right? But a lot of people also have friends at work and or community friends. And the way that you behave amongst your friends might not necessarily be like a circle in the Venn diagram with the way that you behave in the community. Like, for example, maybe amongst your friends, jokes that involve sexual innuendos are okay, but then maybe they're not okay in your community. I would say most communities from my observation, but I'm sure there's some where that's fine. And so that's another place that understanding the rules are really important. And also stating these things, if you observe that it's a problem, updating your rules for people who maybe can't or won't read the room is also important. Now, I'm curious oh. what everyone's thoughts on this Here is. We go. Uh, do you think that there that there are certain um, styles of code of conduct that are that actually produce an unhealthy community? No asshole rule. I hate that one. That's my least favorite. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to say the exact same. The Bill and Ted one is also not good, but yeah. There was actually, I think today, there was a, an amendment to like the Ruby code of conduct i think that stemmed from like some form of sexist joke on the mailing list and people started defending it and so they amended their code of conduct on github and said like because there was some paragraph where it was like try not to piss people off and it was like and so they amended it and they said uh like and they changed that completely so that it was much clearer what they meant. Yeah, I'm I'm not a fan of try not to piss people off because that could easily be like, hey, this guy was making a lot of really misogynistic comments in his talk and I felt unsafe. And they're like, wow, now I feel upset. Yeah, I mean, like overall, like the, the big problem that we see with those is like, yeah, it's just that the rules are, are not clearly defined. It's just open to complete interpretation on, you know, Maybe I don't think I'm being an asshole, <laughs> but that's just all me, right? Like, that's just how I am, right? And like, our, I can get away with whatever I want as long as I say that I'm not being an asshole about it. It's just like, oh, you just, yeah, you just took it that way, right? And so it's like, yeah, you know. Sorry if I offended you. Yeah. Sorry if I offended you, but. Sorry, not sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we should title this episode the one where we cancel Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. But yeah, I mean, you know, that's that's always going going to be the case. You know, you just have to be super duper, you know, clear about it. And, you know, at that point, too, it's up to you as a community leader to be able to <laughs> clearly define exactly what that is. And, and Ari, like you were saying, it's really hard. It's really, really hard to come up with this to figure out, hey, well, actually, how do I succinctly define <laughs> like everything in the world that I don't want to allow in my community, right? How can I make it also short enough that folks are actually going to read it? Because at like, ultimately, I want people to read my code of conduct. (laughs) I want you to understand what I expect from you when you participate in my community, right? And so it's really hard. Um, Actually, I was actually just wondering this. I wonder if there are services out there that can help you, right? You know, obviously, you can do things like, you know, grab, you know, existing codes of conduct, but you know, are, are there people you can get to that you can pay to help you write your code of conduct in great ways? And I imagine there are. And it's definitely something that I want to take a look at. 
I mean, I feel like I just saw a dangerous, like, nerd-sniped twinkle in Alex's eye, but, you know, it could just be the sun. <laughs> yeah, I think one of the problems with something like the no-asshole rule is, like, this whole idea of identity versus behavior, but I, I think that something like that really drives people to not want to learn and change and respond in a constructive and non-defensive way to the code of conduct because uh, it's essentially attacking their identity. And it's like, you're a bad person. No, I'm not a bad person. Therefore, what I did must not be wrong. And so I think that that is also a tricky area to navigate, especially as long as we're talking about tech communities on tech Twitter or maybe Twitter in general. And so I'm increasingly ambivalent about the Recurse Center community guidelines or whatever they're called. But one thing that I do like about them is that they do give specific examples of times that somebody might bring up a concern with a specific action that somebody took and talking about how you might respond to that in a constructive way and how to not take it as an attack on your entire being. And I think that's something that is important to remind people of and to be reminded of. I also think that, you know, sometimes sometimes you just can't predict uh, <laughs> And and maybe you don't need to amend your code of conduct for things like I heard about an incident that I was not present at where it was at a location that has microphones that are embedded inside pillows. So they're fairly soft. And there was like a Q&A period and someone on the stage pelted a pillow at an audience member's head and they did not like it at all which I think was extremely understandable. But also maybe from the speaker's point of view, they were just trying to be playful and it was an accident. My impression was that the read of that specific room was quite different, but speaking out of context, you know, you might have situations like that where nobody really expected things to happen. Maybe the most advisable thing to do is for the speaker to apologize and everybody, you know, just moves past it. But I don't think that, you know, necessarily a don't throw pillow microphones at people rule needs to specifically be added to the code of conduct unless it becomes like a recurring problem. I feel like, yeah, if you add that to a code of conduct, you're literally just inviting people to ask about what prompted that. And then it just never ends having to retell the story, which doesn't help the person who was upset by it. Yeah, I can't throw a pillow microphone. Can I just throw a pillow that's not a microphone? What about a t-shirt? <laughs> Now I'm thinking about the, the am I the asshole subreddit and just like there's such a spectrum of human behavior that you'll never be able to account for. Well, and I guess that sort of ties into your comment earlier, Tessa, too, of the like things not specified by the code of conduct we can, you know, admonish you, punish you, kick you out for, right? Like, because there are things where it's like, yeah, it may not be said in this code of conduct, but if it's a thing, then it, it, you know, if you hurt somebody, it doesn't matter what you were doing, right? Like it needs to be addressed. So, yeah. I mean, speaking of addressing things, I thankfully have not been in a situation where I've personally had to oversee this yet. But one piece of advice that I see recommended regularly is um, if you're in a position where you have to enforce a code of conduct, let's say one person harass another person somehow, don't feel like the there is an obligation to facilitate some kind of reconciliation between the two people. Not everybody has to like and get along with everybody else, even though everybody has to like and get along with me because that's the law. So if two people don't get along, but they are leaving each other alone, then sometimes that's good enough. 
definitely don't tell the victim to assume good intent. Yeah, for sure. I was going to say, I, I just think that that's absolutely excellent advice. Because I think, you know, so often when, you know, there's an incident or, or something happens, we feel that we have to do absolutely everything in our power to resolve it to protect the community. And sometimes that might involve, like, yes, like trying to be a part of the process of, oh, like, you know, you two have to make up. Um, and yeah, I think you're exactly right. I think there's going to be a ton of situations where especially like as a victim, it's like, sorry, but like, I don't want to make up with you. Like, I don't forgive you for it. And, you know, I have no obligation to forgive you for what you did. Um, and I don't want to make up with you. And like, if we can, as long as, you know, appropriate actions have been taken, it's like, yeah, we can coexist. You go be in your corner. <laughs> I'll be in my corner and we'll be perfectly okay. And yeah, that definitely can be good enough, you know? But of course, you know, that doesn't mean that we're not going to make sure that everything stays okay. Like we're going to make sure that people are appropriately staying in their corners. We're not going to allow like any, you know, bad behavior to continue. Like we're not spreading it to more corners. Speaking of spreading it, I know that sometimes when you do enforce the code of conduct, you also have to figure out how to balance the transparency of, you know, what was done, what the repercussions were. Etc. Because sometimes people will think that something happened in a silo and they'll, you know, victim blame. <laughs> Not that I've ever uh, had that problem or anything in the view community specifically. That doesn't sound like sarcasm. <laughs> I did have a situation in, in the view community where due to an interaction with someone, they were asked to step down from the view core team. And a lot of people decided to pile on to me for that. It got to the point that I asked if somebody could make an actual statement regarding it so that a little more context was given behind it and people would maybe lay off. But yeah, it, it's a hard thing to, it's a hard line to, to tow, I understand, because obviously you want to respect someone's privacy, but when it starts to affect the person who was not doing the wrong thing... <laughs> Yeah. So I have a question for you. In your opinion, after you asked for the statement to be put out, did you feel that, you know, people did actually lay off like after that? Or was it more or less the same? I felt like people laid off more. I mean, yes, of course, there were still those people who were just going to have their opinion no matter what. But yeah, of course, I think that because, yeah, in this particular instance, it was not the, the it was not the first time that this person had made statements that were unbecoming of the community. It's not the first time that they had made people in the community feel uncomfortable. But, you know, the vast majority of the community didn't have that context. And so they just saw that, oh, it was this one thing they said. They made one mistake and they were punished for this one thing. But that that wasn't the picture that was the reality of it. So I think once people understood that it wasn't just because, you know, oh, I complained about this one thing that they understood it was a pattern of behavior, then people were like, it makes it a whole lot harder to defend that. Yeah, it's definitely interesting because I believe I remember the situation that you're talking about. 
And I remember my perspective on it. I remember seeing like, hey, this person has been removed from the community. And I remember initially seeing that and going like, what? And saying like, you know, what's up with that? And then I do remember there being a statement afterwards. And I was like, oh, well, yeah, now that I know, I'm perfectly fine with this. Like, I'm glad that action was taken. And so sort of from my perspective, it looked like, oh, hey, like there was a problem. This was actually addressed pretty well. Like nothing was really exposed, but, you know, enough information was given that, you know, I felt like at ease with what was going on. And so I guess from like a community person's perspective who I didn't see it all, you know, play out at the same time. But at the end, I was like, oh, well, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, something was said. So I have to say, like, thank you for making sure that, you know, it was communicated to everyone appropriately. And then I think you're exactly right. Like, it's going to be a hard line to toe in terms of how you actually communicate these things like to the community because like yeah the community should know especially if they feel like you know there's someone in the community that they like and enjoy you know right to privacy is obviously important to a certain extent in my opinion <laughs> but you know sort of beyond that yeah you you do want the community to also see like hey yeah we do take our code of conduct very seriously we're going to act on it we're going to make sure that we're protecting the community and that we're upholding you know the kind of community that we want to have, you know, it's, I think that's like sort of leading by example, (laughs) sort of just like, Hey, yeah, uh, you do something like this, this is going to happen to you too. And maybe everyone in the community really likes you, but yeah, if you're going to be that way, sorry, but you can't participate in our community. I also found that to be an unfortunately interesting incident in that from my perspective, I observed the backlash starting before any action was taken And so when I saw this kind of uneven, invalidating response fomenting, I alerted several of the VIEW community members, hey, I think this thing is happening that you're going to have to handle. And if I'm remembering correctly, I feel like Evan might have been the first to respond. And up until that point, I think the VIEW team hadn't had to make any kinds of public statements on community issues before. And so that certainly did not, it was, in my opinion, the right step to have taken to take swift action and make a clear statement. But I think that the community also was not really prepped in a way to know how to respond beyond perhaps what their initial instincts would have been, because it wasn't a conversation that we as a community had had before. Which as a quick aside there, I think one of the really important takeaways from that is like, yeah, if you see something, say something, you know, if you see something going on in the community, even if you're unsure, maybe you're not sure, like, hey, is this a violation? Is this not great? Reporting it to, you know, community leaders is an excellent step. Because yeah, it's not always easy for, you know, folks to, you know, come forward with, you know, things like this, right? And especially I know, and the way, like, I've been really happy, which <laughs> I'm not particularly shy. Like, if I see something, I'm going to say, like, oh, hey, I don't think that this was okay. Uh, that's up to y'all if, you wanna, if y'all want to decide that that is okay or not. But to me, it's not okay. And I'd like to see something done about this personally. Yeah, like, I mean, just, you know, reporting to, to people early and often, I, I think is the best way. Just let people know. So that way, is the sooner people get in front of things, the sooner they can have a response to it. And, you know, you can help maybe prevent some of the community backlash of saying like, oh, what's going on here? Like, if you can get out ahead of it, I think that's definitely the way to go. It was unfolding very publicly in real time. (laughs) And also, it's one of those things where, like, the response to how you respond to an event like this in the community really varies based on, like, what the infraction is, right? The view community encompasses the Viewland Discord as well. 
And like, you don't see the Vue.js Twitter account going like, we banned another spammer today in the Discord, right? Like the person who reports the spammer, the Discord people go and they go, oh yeah, hey, we take care of it. So like, sometimes it's just getting back to the person who reported the thing and saying, hey, we took care of it. And that's enough. But when you get into cases like this, it's not just the person who reported it that you need to say, hey, we took care of this. You need to make a statement saying, hey, this thing happened. We are now rectifying it, you know, and like that is that is a thing that you have to do. And so I think that, you know, knowing what what, this sort of ties back into the like, what are the steps that have to be taken when somebody reports something? What are the steps that you need to do? Like, you need to be aware of what's happening in your community in order to be able to moderate it. Yeah, it's like the classic example of like, let's say that Ari was in a meeting and every time she tried to speak, Chad talked over her and stole all her ideas. And then afterwards, Alex just spoke privately to Ari and was like, oh, I can't believe that Chad kept on speaking over you like that. But he didn't say anything in the meeting or to Chad or anything like that. Then the only person that people see that's on the line and like speaking up about this is Ari. If you don't make it clear that this is like a community value, then people, there are people who will see it as like somebody stirring the pot and trying to cause a problem rather than somebody trying to enforce and protect community values and well-being. Even with uh, Viewland, which came up, I mean, we we talked towards the beginning of the episode about responses to stupid questions. And I have knowingly and lampshadingly asked many stupid questions on the Viewland Discord, like, hey, I want to do this really bad idea, but it's for a talk. It's a deliberately bad idea for a talk. And I'm stuck on this bug and I can't figure it out. And I need to do this specific idea because, again, it's a toy example for a talk. How can I resolve this bug? And I will not get an answer on how to resolve the bug. And this response is certainly not unique to the view community. But I will get a lot of replies being like, oh, that's really unoptimal. Or like, that's a really bad idea. Why would you design it that way? You should do this other thing instead. I can't believe that you would do this specific thing. And I'm like, again... It's a deliberately bad idea for a talk, but nobody wants to help me because they're so offended and so concerned about my bad idea and that I'm going to create this like not perfect view application. And that can be a really frustrating and off-putting experience. I've actually had similar experiences in the Viewland Discord where it's I've seen other people going, hey, I'm trying to sprinkle view in on a page how do I do this thing? And the answer is, well, you really need a build process in order to be able to do that. And you need view, you need to use single file components. And I, I'm the person who speaks up and goes like, you don't. And here's how you do that. I mean, you are the king purveyor of bad ideas. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's why we met. I am the king purveyor of that. I've been in that situation where it's like, I can't do a build process. So what, what do I do? And Sometimes there are constraints where, yeah, there's a perfect world where everybody has like a perfect build step. And we just, you know, we all start with view with the view CLI and we make a app and like it's just a single page application and great done. Right. Like, ta-da! and it's like, yeah, but the real world doesn't always work like that. And sometimes you're going to do some weird things and, you know, people are going to ask questions about how to do weird things. And sometimes 
you need to be able to answer that and not just go, well, actually, you should do it the right way. Even on our own show, like I asked a question at some point about testing or something, like what if you have a bunch of nested stores? And the discussion veered into like, well, that's a really suboptimal design for your store. Don't do that. And I'm like, okay, but if I'm at the bottom of, of the hierarchy and have no power, like, well, what do you want me to do with that? I will say in my experience in the Vue community, I, yeah, I don't really ever go to the Vueland Discord, but I will say I've had generally pretty decent experiences in the Vue forums. I think maybe part of that is simply the nature of that type of communication where you're having to put a little more thought into it before hitting send because you're having to give a more complete response. And it is also, I think, better moderated. <laughs> Sorry, I thought the view forums was just Torsten's blog. Because <laughs> literally anytime I look up something and it's a view forum result, it's just Torsten giving some really long and really thorough response. It's not always Torsten, but yes. Yeah, the number of times that I've... Often is. Yeah, yeah, he's he's always there. I know there's a lot of like um, initiatives to create more of an inclusive space. Like I I think there's um, new channels and things that Jess and some others are spearheading. I just haven't gone back because I I think some partially because of my experiences, partially because I don't currently have any big view things that I need help with. And partially because I just really find the Discord UI very interestingly designed. I think going back to responding to reports, it it sometimes can feel challenging to strike a balance between trying to make sure that your wording is perfect, which I can completely understand because everything that I say is written down in advance and I have a whole little flowchart of which responses I'm going to say in this episode so I can get it right the first time. Just kidding. She's not. She has a whole flowchart behind her that y'all can't see right now. It's really impressive. <laughs> Alex, you're not supposed to tell them that. But uh, yeah, you know, sometimes you have to you have to balance out like having time to get the perfect message versus taking care of something in a timely fashion. Like we've all been there when a company has a huge misstep and then there's like a month of silence and then they'll put out like a black square or something. And you're like, this is not (laughs) what that didn't make up for it. An effective response. Huh. Also, you know, you do need to give organizations a little bit of time sometimes to respond to things like there are people who i know have harped on companies where it's like they push something to production on friday it broke everything they had it fixed by midday saturday but then they didn't put out a message until monday about it and it's like yeah because it's the weekend like i mean i think they should have also let the fix wait till monday but um... right and so it's one of those where it's like I, i think that there is a balance that can be struck there where it's like you do need to acknowledge it like fast where you say, hey, we are aware of this and we're working on it, right? And be able to acknowledge it. But then you may not, you you don't necessarily need to give the official like, oops, right? Like (laughs) business message of like, oops, we didn't know we were being terrible people. Sorry, right? For like, you don't have to give it within 24 hours. Now I'm just thinking about like the Amazon dogs page when they like can't find the product you're looking for. Yeah. I wonder if it is important in those instances, though, to also put out some kind of reminder, like, 
oh, we are dealing with this incident and remember, like, our community believes da-da-da, so, you know, we do not condone, like, certain kinds of behavior or whatever. Yeah, no, and that's, and it's good. You don't necessarily have to, like, like, I'm not expecting you to have a full post-mortem write-up within, like, an hour of something happening. That shows me that you actually don't care because you've already, you got a form, you got, like, a, you're copying and pasting out of a form letter for whatever the thing is, which means that you're dealing with this a lot. I mean, we all know that some people in the view team have a time turner, so maybe that's not completely fair, but, uh, as a community, for sure, you need to be able to very quickly publicly acknowledge if something is going wrong and decrease whatever issue is happening. One trend that I've been seeing lately that, Falls into a gray Uh-oh. area, I think, is when, let's say, leaders of your community are are tweeting things that maybe aren't super inclusive. I don't necessarily know how other leaders of the community are su- supposed to handle that, you know, because it, it's, it's subtle. But, you know, when you're like, uh, if someone on your, let's just, for example, core team, is tweeting something saying, if you do this, you're stupid, or I guess maybe you're you're wrong. I don't think that that helps build an inclusive community, but also like it's a tweet on their own account. I mean, I don't know what you're talking about. The Linux community does that all the time. They're perfectly fine. They're not toxic at all. And- so healthy. Oh man, Linux kernel developers. <sighs> also, Alex already apologized <laughs> profusely for posting all those cat pics to enjoy the view cats. So I mean, let it go. I mean, that was the whole thing with the... Uh, with the, uh, you know, with the, like the Linux community was that they introduced a code of conduct. Like there was a whole series of events that happened there where for years, years and years and years, Linus Torvalds is, was super abusive in emails. If somebody submitted something that he didn't like, he would just like lay into them in an email on the mailing list. So it was very public that how toxic and abusive Linus Torvalds is in his mind he was just wanting the code to be good right that was what he was doing in his mind and he's just being a shitty person doing it and the language that he was used and that he would use to talk about these sorts of things was very much in line with some other groups of people who are not viewed in a very positive light and the New Yorker I think was working on an article basically writing about this and going like, this is why women don't want to be involved with the Linux community. This is why, like, just all of these things. And they got him in an interview and they were like, so what about this incident? And what about this incident? And he was like, oh, this is bad. And he stepped down. He stepped down for several months and was like, I'm going to go get some help with this. And deal with this and figure out a better way to do this sort of thing. And he stepped back for six months and I haven't heard of as many explosive bad emails from him as of late, but he realized like, Oh, people are associating me with these groups that I absolutely disagree with. Like I 100% disagree with. And so he was like, this is going to be a problem. I need to step down for a while. And he did. Um, and after that, they 
actually started introducing contributor code of conducts for the Linux kernel because because of that incident. Now, should that have happened sooner? Yes. But like there is an instance of a benevolent dictator for life. Benevolent sounds not benevolent. That's true. Dictator for life being <laughs> like called out on their behavior and having and taking a step back in order to figure out what needs to happen. But how many years too late was that, you know? Because, I mean, that was literally years. I mean, it was about, how old is Linux? Um, Linux is the best. It was probably about that many years too late. I mean, he literally named his version control after him. (laughs) uh, But my understanding is that the community did not want him to return so soon. And so I feel like I'm ambivalent about that. Like, I do think people should be allowed to redeem themselves. But at the same time, there is often too much of a focus on the redemption of the perpetrator rather than, you know, making the victim feel welcome and included and safe. I think we also, though, need to look at the fact that, you know, he did not operate in a vacuum that, you know, there's very much a culture um, amongst kernel developers, and I feel qualified to comment on this considering I used to work with a lot of them. That culture ends up permeating further than just that community over... Yeah, and I'm sure not knowing the the specifics of the Torvald situation that we can all think of at least one, if not more, um, high-profile examples of I don't like this word, but for lack of a better term, thought leaders in the tech community who behaved in similar ways and when confronted with similar concerns, um, just said, no, you're wrong. I'm not one of those people or I'm not behaving in that way. And then continued on not changing their behavior and, you know, having lots of supporters. Yeah. Overall, I think, you know, those situations are kind of tough because obviously you want to communicate to the leaders like, hey, uh, this isn't inclusive or, you know, this isn't quite right or this is violating your own code of conduct that you apparently believe in. You know, it's tough. Like, how do you get through to those people? Like, obviously, you know, (laughs) in the Linus situation, it's like, yeah, that was very public. Um, And it's like, can you do it privately? Like, is it possible? Um, Because I know, like, for me, like with, you know, my team, I would want um, like my team to get together and come to me and say, hey, uh, what you did there is not great. I understand like, you know, when that happens, like, you know, everyone's going to have that immediate reaction of, oh, I'm being attacked <laughs> or whatever. And like for me, I know it's like, okay, yeah, you know, I want to take that information, step back for a minute, go think about it and figure out like, hey, yeah, you know, obviously if they had the courage to come to me with this, it probably is something I should probably think about and figure out and, you know, take it, you know, from there. And I don't know, you know, how other people or other community leaders are, are going to feel about that, uh, whether they're open to receiving that sort of feedback. I mean, I think for me, it's a matter of, you know, I want to constantly learn and get better because I understand like, yeah, we're not all perfect. I'm going to make mistakes. Everyone's going to make mistakes. And like the way that we move forward <laughs> is through learning and and having folks, you know, bring these things to our attention. Um, so, you know, I definitely hope, you know, leaders are open to their communities and their teams coming and, and letting them know when they mess up and holding them accountable. In BDFL situations, it's obviously very, very difficult. Yeah, you know, it's funny because when you said I'm being attacked, my mind immediately went to like the equivalent uh, Twitter typical reply, which is I'm in this picture and I don't like it. And then I started to wonder seriously, like if that was our initial response instead of the other, like I'm being attacked. I wonder if that would help us take these kinds of 
uh, concerns less defensively because it's it's not that we don't like being attacked. It's it's that we don't like being in that picture. Um, so we don't like our behavior in that situation. And so that might help like refocus our minds on and our emotions on the issue rather than like the attacking feeling. But I'm, I don't know, just something I thought of now. Yeah, I actually think that's really interesting because, yeah, you're exactly right. Because <laughs> it's like someone's coming to you and telling you, hey, you are being like those people. <laughs> and oh no not those people exactly it's like oh no not those i'm not one of those your initial reaction to that might be like no you're wrong <laughs> how dare you say i am one of those you know i'm just now just thinking of like like spongebob like holding up all the different photos and pointing at all the different ways that you are this way <laughs> i'm thinking of snitches <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, uh, but that's really, I think, yeah, you're, you're sort of exactly right about that. Um, and like, yeah, if we can just take it as, yeah, um, hey, you're kind of being like these people, uh, check yourself before you wreck yourself, you know, then we would be a lot better. And those around you. And those around you. You got to wreck yourself before you can wreck others. I think a lot of times, you know, we, we phrase things as building a community. And I think a lot of people then forget to maintain the community. Absolutely. I mean, that's the boring part where everybody complains to you nonstop and you have too much work to do and you're not getting any support or recognition and you're burning out. Wow, Tessa, that felt personal. (laughs) I I was actually thinking of like our open source maintainer episodes, which I, I have not had experience maintaining open source projects. Going back to your initial thought, Ari, I feel like the it's hard when you have a lot of followers because I I think especially on Twitter and these other online spaces, a lot of people like to operate along these like heuristics or rules of behavior. So I'm going to name a few as examples just so we all understand what I'm talking about and not as a criticism or denigration of any of these ideas. But for example, believe women, put the victim first, right? Or uh, focus on the most marginalized. But even with that one, it's like, how do you know who is the most marginalized? Like now, like if somebody with like a thousand followers who is a person of color is in an argument with somebody else who has like 800 followers, who is a woman in tech, like how do we balance these things? And so I think when we're just trying to make and follow a rigid set of rules and apply those and use these to um, shut down any kind of constructive discussion, which admittedly is is hard to have, especially because, you know, I don't think this is a skill that we're taught in school or at home. Generally speaking, I could go on a whole rant about this. Um, but we're not we're not equipped to have these conversations. And um, it can be harder in uh, text conversations. And so I don't I don't know that there's really a good answer, because I certainly understand that, you know, if you are in a position of power, and or if you can potentially deliberately or accidentally mobilize a large group of people, uh, that comes with certain restrictions, as Uncle Ben would say. But at the same time, um, those people are, are also humans and they may have real issues and concerns that would also need to be addressed. So we haven't wanted to come up with new models for how to think about and participate in social media as opposed to physical conversations, which are very limited by at minimum space. Um, And so that makes it hard to find new ways of dealing with these kinds of situations. Overall, I would say of all the communities I've been a part of or helped steward, um, 
I've been the most involved in the view community. And, you know, I think we're all talking about these problems because it's a community that we appreciate and are a part of and, and want to help continue to grow. Yeah, I've had I've had a lot of good experiences and met a lot of interesting and and kind and you know those are both spectrums people in in the community and so I am you know ambivalent about some things but overall glad to be a part of it also we have puns all right I think that was extremely well said yeah I think that the reason we're having this conversation is because we all care so just keep that in mind, everyone, before you start hating us too much for this episode. Thanks. <laughs> but if you want to, you know, I'm kidding. <laughs> but yes. If you want to direct any hate at gloomy loomy, please feel free. I will just ignore you. <laughs> but if it helps you feel better to get it out of your system, go ahead. It'll just go in my unread box. Sorry. Anyway, with that, with all of our love for the view community, let's move on to picks. Oscar, would you like to go first? Sure, I will go first. My pick for this week is Squid Game from Netflix. Uh, it's an absolutely awesome K-drama. I highly recommend. It's essentially about a group of people down on their luck competing in childhood games to earn money. And that's as much as Wait, I... Wait, so it's about us. <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> Based on the trailer, Tessa, no, um, no, I do not want to be associated with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, you, no, you don't. Um, I would say like the storytelling is absolutely fantastic. I, I just highly recommend. I, I can't recommend it enough. It's like some like the thing that I saw most recently that like just was just really really well done. And I saw <laughs> in one of those captivate elevators <laughs> that Squid Game is on pace to be a record holder for a foreign show as being as popular as it is on US Netflix, which is awesome. Wow, that's uh, awesome. So uh, definitely go check it out. It's truly amazing. Okay, I have a question about it. Sure. If you're someone who's like, say squeamish, would you still recommend it? So say it's someone who is easily haunted by images. Gotcha. Because that's my one hesitation. Yeah, no, I definitely hear that. I think <laughs> watching the first episode, I was like, huh, I don't know that I want to watch this show. <laughs> um, but sort of after that, like, yeah, there there's like a little bit of like some, you know, like very, very small amount. But and I think it's it's manageable um, because the storytelling is so good. Um, so just don't let the first episode scare you too much is what I would say. I do feel like that's a pattern I've noticed with like horror light K-dramas. Not that I've seen that many, but I feel like they really try to make a big impact in the first episode and then they lighten up a lot from the yeah. second on. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. A couple weeks ago, Netflix messaged me like, hey, Squid Game is on Netflix. And I was like, great. I have no idea what this is. I wasn't like waiting months for it. Like what? <laughs> and then Kyle Shook tweeted like triangle, square, circle or something. And someone was like, Squid Game. And I was like, what is happening? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You're like that. Mm, I know exactly what that means. And I'm like, good for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tessa, would you like to go next? Sure. Uh, I also have a K-drama recommendation um, because of what we talked about today. Uh, it's a show called Hello, My Twenties. There's a season one and a season two. And just like in Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, there is an actor change between season one and season two. And unlike Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, I found it 
so distracting that I just never got over it. So warning there. But it was recommended to me by a coworker that likes Korean dramas. They personally found it comforting. I did not because I was just like, it's one of those shows where I'm watching. I'm like, why did they behave that way? Um, like for example, somebody ate all of somebody else's mom's homemade jam without asking them. And then the person was like, you ate all my jam. And she was like, you said I could try it. And I was like, why would you do that? Like, I just don't understand. It's a show that, that, uh, has a lot of themes around like who is in your like home. What's the word I'm looking for? Found family group. Like, who do you choose to let in? Who do you choose to let out? Uh, what are the consequences of, not keeping those boundaries and not uh, watching out for your own well-being because like you want to feel cool or you want to feel laid back or something else. Um, and so I think that if you're interested in the things we talked about in this show, you might find it interesting. I mean, yeah, in this show, you might find it interesting to watch that show. I was like, this is not a show. And then I was like, yes, it is a show. And my other pick is uh, this thing called a reverse pillow. Um, I think it's pronounced Lev. And it's, it's, uh, it's a weighted pillow that you put over your eyes when you go to sleep. I, I sent it to a friend of mine and she thought it was like the top and bottom pillows were one thing. And you just stick your head in like this pocket. It's not that. It's just a pillow that lays over your eyes, um, which is often how I like to sleep because uh, my room is usually bright because my neighbors have a light that stays on all night. Um, and sometimes I find that pressure comforting. I've read that it might be helpful for people who have migraines. Um, so yeah, if you like sleeping with a pillow over your eyes, also it's recommended to not sleep with this stuff, with things covering your nose, because that can af apparently affect both your um, mental capacity and your quality of sleep. Uh, then maybe check out the live pillow. And after I've used it for a few months, I'll update with um, why it was great or not great. We'll see. That looks like something I have like a smaller version of that I use specifically for headaches. So that is... I'm fascinated. I might have to get one. Well, you're up next, Alex. So. <laughs> All right. Well, so this past week, I got a new phone. I now have, I am now the proud owner and total shill for the Pixel 5a. Um, I upgraded from a Pixel 3a, uh, and it was it's quite the noticeable jump uh, for me. Uh, much better cameras, much better battery life better processor i think better if, speaker yeah and uh my speaker works again i actually have ringtones again it's amazing uh the speakers on my pixel 3a had died a couple of years ago now i guess really because it died before the pandemic started so yeah i i've been running with no ringtones for quite a while now and um i'm i'm happy to report i I have ringtones again. I am also unhappy to report that I am now getting Slack notifications all the time. Banana phone. Yeah, trade-offs. Uh, so I'm happy to have the Pixel 5a. If you have a Pixel 3a like I did, I can highly recommend now is a good time to upgrade. A very specific rec. Wait, you changed your Slack, your Slack sound though, right? What did you change did. it to? Uh, I did change my Slack. So now I gotta open. He up felt Slack. too basic <laughs> after we talked about it. Ari. I did. We we <laughs> talked about this in a previous episode, and I ended up feeling super basic about my Slack noise. So I changed my Slack noise. My Slack noise is now. I think it's like the it's like the boo or something like that. Like it's some sort of too long. Too long. It's probably going to get changed a few more times. <laughs> I hope people people can take that clip and assign it to like a custom ringtone on all their work slacks. 
here i'll make i'll make a clean i'll make a clean edit for y'all hold on <laughs> there you go the alex special for your phone oh we gotta save that for our patreon subscribers <laughs> hey i guess that means it's my turn so this week i'm gonna pick a show on netflix oh my god shocking i know most of you have probably watched this already because it's been super popular, but Sex Education is okay. really good. It is raunchy. So if that if that bothers you, don't watch it. But also, I feel like there's a lot of valuable information for people in there that are bothered by things that are raunchy. I'm not saying you shouldn't be, but... Mm. <laughs> leave it at that well i mean like even if you're like say asexual or something i mean there's a lot of good story points and stuff that aren't completely revolving around sex right yes yeah no uh it's really more about finding identity more than anything um whether that be you know wherever you happen to, to fall on the spectrum of sexuality which i think is something that at least millennials started to talk about but i think we could talk about more and so, you know, if we have to do that through the guise of watching a show about Gen Z, so be it. <laughs> At least the conversations might happen. But yeah, so I highly recommend it. But I'm also extremely liberal and do firmly believe in comprehensive sex education. So take that how you will. Anyway, that is all for this week's episode. If you aren't following us on Twitter, why aren't you? Please go do that. You can find us at Enjoy the View Cast, or if you like cats, you can also find us at Enjoy the View Cats. <laughs> and be sure to, to subscribe to the show on whatever um, podcast app you are using and leave a review because then people can find us, which makes people happy because, you know, obviously we make people happy. That's what we're here for, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> and finally, remember to share the love and tell other people about the show. And that's all. So thanks for listening. And until next time, enjoy the view.